In the year 1969, Neil Armstrong was the first man to walk on the moon. And if you remember anything about that or you heard anything about it, when he stepped off onto the moon, he said, one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. It was so inspiring. But few people know that when he re-entered the lander, he said, have fun, Mr. Gorski. Of course, the people at NASA thought it was probably some sort of casual remark about maybe some Russian cosmonaut friend of his. But when they looked up all the Russian cosmonauts and all the American astronauts, they couldn't find anybody named Mr. Gorski. And so many people started questioning him, saying, what was that comment about? And he never would answer. He always refused. Well, many years afterwards in Tampa, after a speech, somebody asked at that time was a 26-year-old question. In other words, what about the comment about Mr. Gorski? And he said, well, it kind of went back to when I was a kid. Because when I was a kid, my brother and I, we were like playing baseball, and he hit the ball into our neighbor's yard. Our neighbors were named Mr. and Mrs. Gorski. And so the ball happened to land right beside their kitchen window. And Neil said, when I went over there and I went to pick it up, I could hear Mrs. Gorski yelling at Mr. Gorski, saying, you'll never, never, ever, ever be able to get a season pass to Ohio State football games. Don't even think about it. Not until the kid next door walks on the moon. (laughs) And so thus, Neil Armstrong always remembered that. And as he was walking on the moon, he said, have fun, Mr. Gorski. Of course, it just goes to show you things that seem impossible to us always aren't. And whether Mr. Gorski ever got his uh, season pass to Ohio State football games or not, we'll never know. But you know, the truth is it probably still was up to Mrs. Gorski. Because so much of what we think is impossible and possible in life really isn't up to us. It really isn't up to us. And here's God's take on this. From Ephesians 2nd chapter, verse 10 in the message. God says, we neither, you and I, we neither make nor save ourselves. God does both the making and the saving. God does both the making and the saving. Isn't it interesting, however, we tend to think that what is possible in life for us is more up to us than it is up to God. But God says it's really much more dependent on Him And how much of him is in our lives? Thus unknowingly, we kind of live a lot of life, don't we, putting the cart before the horse. But look at this very same verse, if you will, Ephesians 2.10, this time in the New Living Translation, which says, for we are God's workmanship. We are God's workmanship. In other words, the color and the texture and the lines and the background and the foreground of your life is really much more up to God than it is up to you and me. So how do we understand that? How are we to understand what Ephesians 2.10 says, that, that we are God's masterpieces? Well, we see this in Luke's 18th chapter, verse 1 in the New Living Translation, which says, one day, one day Jesus told his disciples a story to show them that they should always pray. And here's a guy who put these two things together. He put together what's possible for us as God's masterpiece with prayer. Watch this. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are God's workmanship, his masterpiece. I don't know about you, 
But when I get up in the morning and look in the mirror, I don't really see a, a masterpiece, you know? I mean, maybe a Picasso. It's like, <laughs> but I want to be his masterpiece. I want to be everything he created me to be. And so I go to him in prayer and I say, dear heavenly father, do whatever it takes to mold me into the image of your son. Make me your masterpiece. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. But you'll notice after he prayed, what happened? Take a look at the screen. Apparently nothing. Nothing happened at all, which can lead us to what? Well, it can lead us to what Jesus was warning us about in Luke's 18th chapter, verse 1, which also says that we should always pray and never give up. But you know, there are reasons why we do tend to give up sometimes on things in life, isn't it? Other versions of the same verse tells us why we do sometimes give up. Because sometimes we give up because we become discouraged. And we become discouraged because we tend to lose hope. And we tend to think, hey, what's the point? What does this matter anyway? And when we lose hope, sometimes we lose heart. And that means that our heart's not in it anymore. So let me say, this isn't always an obvious, and this isn't always a conscious, this isn't always right there in your face kind of decision that we make. Actually, it happens quite often subconsciously, where it happens below the surface or, or off the radar of your life. But look what happens when we actually do pray, and we never give up. And as the scriptures say, we never become discouraged. We don't lose hope. We don't lose heart. But we actually pray something like this. Look what happens when we pray something like this. God, make me into what you want me to be as the kind of foundational prayer in your life. God, make me what you want me to be. Look what happens. Who are you? I'm God. You said the prayer, so here I am. You're not God. No, I am. You said the prayer. That's how it works. Okay, okay. Um, if you're God, what does Lamentations 15.9 say? Lamentations is only five chapters. It's a very short book. Oh, why was it so short? I was tired of lamenting. Oh. Okay, okay. If you're God, who's going to win the World Series this year? I'm really not into playing games. Why are you so much into playing games? Maybe sometimes we are into playing games because life to us sometimes seems like a game, doesn't it? Or like a series of games in which we can get so distracted by all those little details of those things in our life, like things in work, details in our relationships, details in our families or our homes and our finances. Sometimes we become distracted because there are problems in our work, problems in our relationships, problems in our family and in our finances. And so thus we can get so discouraged that we lose hope and we lose heart. We can get so discouraged sometimes that we get distracted by those details, so much so that we can't see or hear God. Now, it seemed that way for Elijah in 1 Kings 19, verse 11 through 13 in the message. Elijah was told, go, stand on the mountain, God will pass by. And I have to tell you, can you imagine that? Elijah must have been so excited. He must have been thinking, all right, God, come on. I'm going to have a face-to-face with God. And then look what happened. A hurricane ripped through the mountains and shattered the rocks before God. Now, I don't know about you. But if I'd been there and I'd seen a hurricane kind of wind come through and shatter rocks right before me, I'd been pretty distracted by that, as I'm sure Elijah was distracted by that. But we see next that God wasn't to be found in the wind. And I'm sure that was 
disappointing to Elijah because Elijah said, man, if I'm witnessing something like this, God's got to be in it. But it turns out that God was not found in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. And again, it must have been really distracting to Elijah to see this earthquake going on, thinking God must be here in the earthquake. But once again, God wasn't in the earthquake, so it must have been disappointing to Elijah. And after the earthquake, there was a fire. And it's another distraction for Elijah. But God wasn't in the fire. Another disappointment for Elijah. But after the fire, a gentle and quiet whisper was heard by Elijah. He heard the quiet voice of God. And you see, like Elijah, it's also really hard for us to get our attention off of all the external noise and all the external things that are swirling around us in our life all the time. It's so easy for us to be distracted. It's so easy for us to be disappointed in those things. But here's the thing. You know, God is not always hanging out, wanting to talk to us, only through the external things of life. No, God also comes as a gentle whisper. He comes as a quiet voice. And He wants to speak inside your heart and in my heart. Yes, that's how God comes, how God speaks to us. So, as you can see God, yes you can, in the external circumstances of life around you, that's for sure. But don't just look and don't just pray and don't just listen to what's going on around you. Rather, push aside these external things. Push aside these discouragements. Push aside the disappointments that you have in your life so that you can look first for, so you can pray first for, so that you can listen first to God's gentle and His quiet voice inside you. You see, that's how God creates His masterpiece in you. You are God. What gave it away? You answered my question with a question. I did? (sighs) Yeah, I do that. Don't I? I did it again. Step right up. Here we go. Okay. All right. Hey, what are we doing? I'm going to make you my original masterpiece. This is the process. Oh, okay. Got it. Wait, wait. What are these about? These are the tools I'm going to use to make you into my original masterpiece. Okay. Wow. A hammer and a chisel. That's what God's going to use to make us into his masterpiece. Why would he do something like that? Well, it all has to do with what Ezekiel 36, 26 in the New Century Version tells us. Because it says, I will take out your stubborn hearts of stone from your bodies. Because the truth is, we all have these stony, hard places in our hearts. And as the scripture says, it's our stubbornness. Our stubbornness that causes us to not be with God, makes it hard for him to paint in us his masterpiece with all its possibilities in a way that we can really, really see it. It's kind of like we take our own brush, we take our own paints, and then we start painting our own way in our lives that may be contrary to the way God is painting. It's kind of like, say, if you lived back several hundred years ago and Michelangelo was your friend. And so Michelangelo says, hey, Bill, why don't you come on up on the scaffold with me? We're going to be painting the Sistine Chapel ceiling today. We're going to be painting the picture of God there. I can really use your help. Just bring your own colors. They don't have to match mine. And we'll just lay down up there, and I'll paint one side of God, paint his ear and his hair. Why don't you paint the other side? Paint his eyes and his nose and his mouth. And if Michelangelo had said that to me, we would not have the masterpiece in the Sistine Chapel as God wanted it. And so the truth is, when we do that in our lives, our lives aren't the masterpiece that God wants them to be as well. So what are those stony 
those hard places in our heart that cause us to paint ourselves into corners and cause us to paint very different directions from the way that God seeks to paint his masterpiece in our life. Well, there are several types of things. Oh, hey, God. Mm -hmm. How do you know what to chisel away and what to leave? I take out everything in your life that doesn't belong there, kind of like dead weight. Ooh, speaking of dead weight, if you would just chisel around here, and then, you know what, if you chisel a line right here, and maybe four to five, maybe eight lines right here, that would be awesome. You're funny. You made me that way. I also made the platypus. For the platypus? All I'm saying is, most of my children, when it comes to this process, they just want to talk, but they don't want to do the work. So do you want to talk, or can I chisel? Talk, chisel? No, talk, no, chisel. no, 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 no. I choose the chisel. All right. Through my Holy Spirit, I'm going to bring up things in your life that I want you to work on. Like your anger. I created the emotion, but you use it in the wrong way. Um, you compare yourself to others instead of me. You tell little white lies because you want to people please. You're lazy. But you try to fool everybody by looking really, really busy. You have a problem with lust? Well, time out. <laughs> I don't really have a problem with lust. You don't have a problem with lust. No, I can do it anytime I want. <sighs> you see, those stony places in our hearts sometimes can be anger. Maybe anger from things past, or it could be anger from the present, or anger may erupt very frequently in our life each day. Or those stony places in our hearts, well, they can also be things that we work so hard at doing. Why? In order to people please. Caring much more about how we look in the eyes of others around us than we look in the eyes of God. We also may be lazy in our fight against our lust and our strong desire for wealth. Or perhaps the way you always want things to turn out for you in your life. But you see, Ezekiel 36, 26, as we looked at it, where God says, I will take out your stubborn hearts of stone from your bodies. What's going to happen as a result of that? What's going to happen is God says, I'll put a new way of thinking inside of you. See, when we remove those hard places in our hearts, we can think differently than we do otherwise. And not only that, God says that I will give you obedient hearts of flesh. And you know one of the reasons that we struggle with obedience in our hearts and in our lives? Very much what Oswald Chambers points us to in his saying. Beware of the inclination to dictate to God what consequences you would allow as a condition of your obedience to him. In other words, we do stuff like, gee, I'd like to follow you here in my life, God. That would be great, but I'm only willing to if this other thing over here can still remain in place. Or, gee, I wouldn't mind changing this particular thing in my life, God. But only if I don't have to touch these other things in my life that are connected to it. In other words, whether you realize it or not, we all have this kind of bargaining chip in our head when it comes to God. It came rather obvious the life of a hunter who one Sunday morning decided to skip church and go hunting instead. So he's climbing up this steep ridge and he gets to the top and he peeks over it. And there's a grizzly bear staring him right in the eyes. He is so shocked, so startled. He starts rolling backwards down the hill. He loses a hold of his rifle and his ammo and his knife. And he gets to the bottom of the hill. Now he's face to face with this giant grizzly bear. And so he says, Lord, if you make this bear a Christian, I'll never miss church on a Sunday again. So the bear gets a puzzled look on his face. He looks up and says, Lord, 
bless this meal which I'm about to partake. You see, bargaining with God's not really a good strategy for your life. A better strategy, Jesus says, is in this scripture from Matthew 17, 20 in the message. Jesus says the simple truth is that if you had a mere kernel of faith, a mere kernel of faith, you could tell this mountain, move, and it would move. There's nothing you wouldn't be able to do. You see, if faith can move a mountain, then it can also remove a hard and a stony and a stubborn place in your heart. Nothing you won't be able to do, the scripture says. And as other versions say, there will be nothing that is impossible for you. And we see the power of this kind of faith over the impossible in Hebrews 11, chapter, verses 7 through 9. Verse 7 tells us this. It is by faith that Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. Verse 8 tells us it is by faith that Abraham, when called to go to a place that he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. And we see in verse 9, by faith he, Abraham, made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. You see, by faith we can do things without seeing how they're going to turn out, as Noah did. By faith you can go to places without knowing ultimately where it is you're going to be going, as we see by Abraham. And by faith, you can live in the apparent strangeness of all this because it's all a part of God making you into his masterpiece. So how is all this possible? Well, it's possible because you love God. When you really, really love God, it's possible. It's possible because God really, really loves you. So very much. I love you, God. I love you too. And I love you too much just to leave you where you're at. This salvation that you hold, I don't want it to be some sentimental gush or some head knowledge. I want you to work it out in every detail of your life. And when problems come and chaos happens, don't look at it as a prison. I know, but it's going to be tough. Yes, but you bought into the lie thinking everything was going to be easy when you gave everything over to me. There will be trouble in this world, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. I want you to do something. I want you to look out there and I want you to say, Tommy is God's original masterpiece. Tommy is God's. No, not the way you see yourself or you try so desperately for others to see you, but maybe for the first time in your life, the way I see you, the way I created you. Tommy is God's original masterpiece. Yes, you are. And you see that God wants the same thing for you. I want the same thing for you to see yourself as God sees you, for you to see yourself as God created you each of you really, really is God's original masterpiece. Using your own first name, what I'd like to do is I'd like you to say aloud with me that you are God's original masterpiece. Will you do that with me now? Starting with your name. Bill is God's original masterpiece. And know what God says to you? God says, yes, you are. You join me in prayer. Great God, we thank you so much. You love us so much that you have given us the example of your son 
He indeed is the ultimate for all time original masterpiece. And we get to partake of that through him to see ourselves in a different light, see ourselves in a different way. So help us to do that, Father. We are so used to listening to the external noise and the external circumstances of life that we can be disappointed, Father. We can be discouraged. And so help us, Father, to not listen to those things. Just put a barrier between ourselves, our hearts, our lives, and all the stuff that goes on around us. Not that we're going to ignore it, not that we're not engaged in it, but so that it doesn't impact us, doesn't impact our heart, causing us to see things not as you see us. So be with us this morning, Father. Be with us this week. Help us to do that. Help us to practice that. Help us to understand that you love us so much and that you see us in a very different way than we typically see ourselves. Help us to draw upon you in that and in your strength and in the beauty that you see in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.